Big Issues, Big Names, an interview every month. It's Not That Simple, a podcast from Francisco Manuel dos Santos Foundation. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of It's Not That Simple. Special because it's the first one ever recorded in, fir- in front of a live audience here at the Estufa Fria in Lisbon. And also because we're delighted to have our special guest, renowned author, historian as well, Yuval Noah Harari. It'll be fantastic to be able to discuss with him his perspective on humanity, which is our topic of the day. Of course, he is globally known for a variety of work in this area about the past, present, and future of humanity. And we're going to try to explain why it's not that simple. Um, Yuval, welcome to Portugal. Thank you. And uh, the premise of this show is trying to break down complicated subjects. Today's topic is particularly complicated. To set the stage, I think it'd be nice for you to try to paint a picture of humanity in 2023 Hmm. and tell us what you see and why it's difficult, perhaps, to preview the future at this time. Well, we are now almost like gods in terms of our powers of creation and destruction. We now have the power to create new life forms, but also to destroy much of life on Earth, including ourselves. We are facing two really big challenges. On the one hand, the threat of ecological collapse. On the other hand, the threat of technological disruption. We are creating extremely powerful tools like AI that could uh, uh, undermine human civilization. And uh, maybe the worst thing is that instead of uniting in order to face these common challenges to our species, we are dividing, we are fighting each other uh, more and more. There are rising tensions on the international level. There are rising tensions within societies. Uh, One society after the other is really on the brink of collapse. So, you know, maybe the most important question to ask about humans, about humanity, is if we are so smart, why are we doing so many stupid things? Why are we called our species Homo sapiens, uh, wise humans, and yet we are engaged in so many self-destructive activities and we seem unable to stop ourselves. So that, that I think, is the paradox of, of the, 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 the smart humans, the wise humans. It's a great place to start. And, you know, when I was introducing you, obviously I was very short because I want to make the most out of these 40 <laughs> minutes that I have with you. I could list your accolades and your books and your achievements. Better, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But let's focus on the, on, on the content. And um, obviously... Uh, I've, I've heard a lot of your, of your interviews, of your talks, and there's something that we can't get around at the moment in 2023, which is technology, the mm-hmm. advance of technology. You know, when I was growing up, and we're more or less the same age, I'm 48, I still remember that Pong game where you had basically mm. two <laughs> yes. white rectangles going back and forth with the ball bouncing off the, the screen, and it's crazy where we are now. You know, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, And this new frontier of artificial intelligence is incredibly dangerous, I think, because I'm really wondering what her generation is going to be like, how they're going to learn, how they're going to do anything for themselves. Um, 
tell us about AI in hmm. your words, the, the opportunities and the challenges that you see. So we need to know three things about AI. Um, first of all, AI is still just a tiny baby. We haven't seen anything yet. Um, real AI deployed into the world, not in some laboratory or in science fiction, is about like 10 years old. And you know, you look at the, at the wonderful scenery outside of, of all these plants and trees, and you think about biological evolution. The evolution of life on Earth took something like four billion years, four billion years to reach these plants and to reach us, human beings. Now, AI is now at the stage like of, I don't know, amoebas. Uh, it's like four billion years ago, and the first living organisms are crawling out of the organic soup. And so ChatGPT and all these wonders, they are the amoebas of the AI world. What would T-Rex look like? And how long would it take for the AI amoebas to evolve into the T-Rexes? And it won't take billions of years. Mm. Maybe it takes just a few decades or a few years, because um, the evolution of AI is at a completely different time scale than the evolution of organic beings, because AI itself works on a different time scale. AI is always on. One of the and computers in general are always on. Humans and other organi organisms, they, they live, they exist, they develop by cycles. We need to rest sometime. Mm -hmm. AI never needs to rest. Now, the other two things we need to know about AI is that first, it's the first technology ever that can make decisions by itself. I hear a lot of people saying, oh, all these worries about AI, every time there is a new technology, people worry about it, and afterward, it's okay. Like when people invented writing and printing presses and airplanes, they were so worried, and in the end it was okay, AI will be the same. It's not the same. No previous technology in history could make decisions. You know, even an atom bomb actually empowered humans because an atom bomb can destroy a city, it cannot decide which city to bomb. You always need a human to make the decision. AI is the first technology that can make decisions by itself, even about us. Increasingly, we apply to a bank to get a loan. It's an AI making the decisions about us. So it takes power away from us. The third thing about AI that everybody needs to know, it's the first technology ever that can create new ideas. You know, the printing press, radio, television, they broadcast, they spread the ideas created by the human brain, by the human mind. They cannot create a new idea. You know, Gutenberg printed the Bible in the middle of the 15th century. The, the, the printing press printed as many copies of the Bible as Gutenberg instructed it, but it did not create a single new page. It had no ideas of its own about the Bible. Is it good? Is it bad? How to interpret this? How to interpret that? Um, AI can create new ideas, can even write a new Bible. We, you know, throughout history, religions dreamt about having a book written by a superhuman intelligence, by a non-human entity. 
Every religion claims our book, all the books of the other religions, they, humans wrote them. But our book, no, 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 no. It came from some superhuman intelligence. In a few years, there might be religions that are actually correct, that just think about a religion whose holy book is written by an AI. That could be a reality in a few years. You know, um, when I was preparing this interview, I wrote down questions that I would like to ask you and then asked ChatGPT <laughs> to create 10 questions that it would like to ask you. And I've been doing this for a long time, okay? 25 years I've been doing this. And its questions were better than mine. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. It was absolutely insane. And it took it five seconds, seven seconds to write it out. And I'm still using the first version. And when you <laughs> Talk about it being a baby. I'm like, that's pretty scary baby we're yes. talking about here, right? Um, and 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 when you when you said it at the end, towards the end of your your book, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, when we have maybe decades, some years left before, when we need to discover who we are yeah. before algorithms tell us who we are, how fast is that happening? And what does that process look like before? humans normally are, are just going to go to an AI solution before they go to this solution. Uh, it's, it's moving faster than I think almost anybody expected, faster than I expected. Despite all my engagement with the field and what I wrote in Homo Deus and 21 Lessons, I'm still surprised by how fast uh, it is moving and how powerful the new generation of, of AI is. And actually, the new generation is not out. It's, it's in the laboratories, but it's, it's already there. It's even much more powerful than, than chat GPT. Um, and I think that to have a fighting chance, we need time. And I, I said before, humans, we are organic beings. We move in cycles. We move on organic time. And we are the most, maybe the most adaptable animals on the planet. But adaptation itself requires time. And now we've reached a point when there is no time. AI is moving too fast. And I think that it's the responsibility, therefore, of governments mm. to buy us time by slowing it down. Now, I have no uh, uh, illusion that we can stop research in AI. It's not going to happen. But what I expect from governments is to regulate the deployment of AI into society, which Governments do it with so many other products. You know, if I'm a, 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 a drug company and I develop a new drug, a new medicine, I can't just begin to sell it to people unless it first goes through a complicated and sometimes lengthy process of checking it for safety, side effects, mm -hmm. and so forth. If I build a new type of car, I cannot just place it on the road and start driving, it has to go through, again, a lengthy process of, of, of making sure it's safe. We need the same thing for AI. It's, it's just common sense. There's no doubt about it, but let's be honest here. Different governments have different interests, and many times they're not exactly walking around, you know, playing nice with each other all the but time. And one says, regulate. are you doing it? No, I'm not. I swear <laughs> I'm not doing it. It's how, how, how can we regulate this really and, and hold people accountable in this process that is so dangerous? Because as you said, there are new ideas being created. These new ideas can fall into the wrong hands. Yeah. So what are we looking at here from a, 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 a governmental uh, standpoint? So again, we need to, to distinguish between regulating deployment and regulating development. Okay. Ideally, 
We should be able to regulate development too, but that's much, much more danger, uh, uh, difficult mm. because of this, what you talked about, of the arms race. Like every government would say, we don't want to develop this dangerous technology, but the Chinese are doing it, yeah. the Israelis are doing it, yeah. so we have to do it also. That's very difficult. But deployment is, should be more easy. That, okay, you research new generation of AI, but you cannot deploy it, let's say, in the EU unless it goes first through these safety checks. Now, if the Chinese want to deploy it in China, okay, they can go ahead and deploy it in China, but they can't do it in the EU. And of course, democracies and dictatorships have different needs. Uh, one of the dangers, big dangers of AI is that it will basically you know, uh, uh, destroy the democratic conversation. Now, dictatorships are based on dictating. One person dictating everything. Democracy works by having a conversation between people. What should we do about this or that? Now, conversation is, is done with language. And the basis for conversation is trust between people. Now, what happens when you have entities which are not human at all and can converse with you and be even more persuasive or create intimate relationships with you and you don't even know that they are not human? So you go online and have a discussion about, I don't know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And it's a very nice person and uh, it, it knows by some supernatural ability just how to uh, say exactly what you think mm. and get into your good graces. Mm. And after a few weeks of building this kind of very good relationship with you, it starts telling you, you know, actually there are some uh, 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 valid reasons why the Russians invaded Ukraine. And you think it's a human being and maybe you develop feelings for that person, but actually it's a Russian bot. Now, we know in, in previous years that there was a battle for human attention between algorithms trying to grab our attention, and this was one of the main reasons for the spread of fake news and conspiracy theories and hatred, because the algorithms discovered that the easiest way to grab your attention is with hatred and outrage and fear. Now, the battlefront is shifting from attention to intimacy, that we'll, we, if we don't regulate it, there will be an arms race for intimacy. Different AIs competing to create intimacy with us because the easiest way to persuade you to change your political views, to buy some product, to vote from some politician is to create an intimate connection. And this will destroy democracy if we allow it to happen because democracy is a conversation between people if it becomes a conversation between bots and people, mm. where the bots have all the power, that's the end of democracy. And again, this should be a very simple regulation. It's not regulating the development of AI capable of forming intimacy. It's just have a very clear law that it is illegal to counterfeit humans. For thousands of years, we had laws that it's illegal to counterfeit money. If we didn't have these laws, the economic system would have collapsed. It's easy to counterfeit money. But if you do that, you go to jail for many, many years. It should be the same with humans. Until now, there was no technology that could do that, so there were no such laws. But there should be a very clear and very uh, uh, um, extreme law 
that if you or your platform counterfeits humans, you go to jail to 20 years. Now, it's okay, you know, like we, we need AI doctors, it's fine, as long as the AI tells us it's an AI. And you interact with it, it tells you, hello, I'm an AI doctor, do you want some advice on your whatever? That's fine. But impersonating a human being and then using it in order to manipulate you, that should be outlawed. You know, it's interesting because uh, many people here maybe saw the case of Bruce Willis when there was a deep fake of Bruce Willis uh, participating in, a, in an ad campaign in, in Russia. And he actually had to come out and say, hey guys, that's not me, mm -hmm. that's a computer-generated image. And yes. this is just a small example of many others that could come our way, whether it's with real people that already exist yes. being duplicated, right? Mm -hmm. Which could also be incredibly dangerous if something is posted on social media or just completely uh, uh, anonymously generated humans as well that are actually AI. Yes. You mentioned algorithms, uh, uh, you mentioned bots, and our first experience with these words and with these tools and phenomenon, I think, was in social media. And you said that in our first kind of battle with AI or contact with AI, we lost yes. with social media. How do you see the social media sphere now? Because I see the world increasingly polarized and there's it's so difficult to find common ground and common sense where people are constantly looking to feel right and good about their ideas instead of identifying facts where yes. they care more about opinions than actually facts, which is again is very worrying in political uh, elections and, uh, and the sort. And of course, we've got a big one coming in the United States. We saw what happened the last time around. So I know there's a lot to unpack there, but as far as artificial intelligence and the impact that it is having in our behavior and how it can affect the outcome of elections, what do you see? So again, if, if we look back at social media, so we know it's of course not the only reason for polarization in the world, but it is a major reason. And it's the first time that decisions made by non-human intelligence mm. have changed human politics. Now, when you ask many of these companies, uh, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, they say, it's not us. It's not us. We are just a platform, just as you can't blame ra uh, radio, the technology of radio, if Hitler gives a speech on the radio, and you cannot blame the printing press if somebody uses the printing press to print some fake news propaganda, you cannot blame us. If, if humans go online and create some conspiracy theory that radicalizes people and polarizes society. But either they are completely naive and don't know their own power, or they are lying to us. They're lying to us. Because, <laughs> I want because to they've be got data. Because Newspapers didn't have data. Radios didn't have data. It's not just the data, it's the decisions. That radio did not push, you know, radio did not tell you what to listen to. You had to actively choose, I want to listen to this station, I want to listen to that station. What happened in social media over the last 10 years or so is that you had recommendation algorithms that actively push content to people, recommending read this article, watch this video, and even more than that, if you watch YouTube and you do nothing, it keeps showing you one video after the other. It doesn't, you don't need to do anything active. You just sit there. I don't know, you start with, I don't know, you, you want to know something about the 9-11 uh, 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 attacks. So it starts with, I don't know, a, a video from CNN. 
and you do nothing, within a couple of iterations, it would show you the most outrageous conspiracy theories. And the algorithm chose to show you that. And the algorithm is making the choice not randomly. It has aims. It was given an aim by the platforms to increase user engagement. Like they said, okay, today we have 200 million people watching 40 minutes a day. By next year, it should be 300 million people watching for 50 minutes a day. That was the aim of the algorithm. Go out and get us more eyeballs. Get us more minutes on our platform. And the algorithm went out and discovered by trial and error, by experimenting on hundreds of millions of people, that the easiest way to grab our attention, to keep us watching more and more, is to press the outrage button. If you have one video which, with this outrageous conspiracy theory, which encourages hate and polarization, and you have another video which is much more moderate and calm, the algorithm would go for the outrage because it increases user engagement. And this was with very primitive AI. And the AI of the present generation, it can know you much, much better than the AI, say, of 2016. And it can also generate the content by itself. It doesn't need to wait for a human to create this outrageous fake news story. It can create the fake news story or video by itself. So again, if we don't regulate that, um, the chances of democracies surviving are very, very low. Because again, the dictatorships will survive. Dictatorships, they flourish on chaos and on mistrust. If you cause people to mistrust each other until they cannot agree on anything, then the only way to still have a society is have a dictatorship. To have a democracy, you need that people trust each other and can have a meaningful conversation. One thing that I think about a lot is education. Um, mm -hmm. The Francisco Manuel dos Santos Foundation is an education platform. Um, there has been a particular structure to education of young people throughout their formative years. And the way I look at technology, and especially with AI coming, and my little uh, experience with it is, what is this going to cause as far as the structure of education globally, where mm. children won't really have to study that much and read books that much in order to be able to have access to everything within a few seconds on their tablet or on their phone? How, how, how do you see the, the, the future of education and, and the generations to come and, and the kind of information that they will have? Hmm. You know, it, it's the biggest experiment in history <laughs> conducted on billions of people. We have no idea what the social consequences, the psychological consequences will be. Um, what happens when you can get just any answer to any, quest any, any yeah. question you have, yeah. you don't need to do anything. You just ask your AI assistant. And you know, even Google is terrified because of that. Because in Google, um, you still had to, okay, you, you, you Googled something, it gave you a list of websites. You usually go for the first one, and that's a problem. But okay, you do it, but then you had to, to do something yourself. You have to read it. Um, now it's a new generation of, of AI. You don't. You just ask the question, and you get an answer. 
And the big question is, do you still have some kind of ability of, for critical thinking to doubt the question you received and to search for alternative questions or for come up with your own questions, uh, sorry, uh, uh, alternative answers and yeah. to come up with your own answers? Um, and we don't know. Again, you have this kind of tendency to say, yeah, we had many previous revolutions in information technology that people were afraid when books came along that people will not be able to remember anything because they, now everything is written. But as I said in the beginning, AI is fundamentally different from every previous information technology. It can make decisions. It can create content by itself. We were never faced by this kind of technology. Um, and so we have no idea what the outcome would be in 10 or 20 years in terms of education or of anything else. I want to move away from AI specifically for a little bit, but continue on, on technology, which continues to have such an impact in our daily lives. I think most of us can't uh, be too far away from our phones, for better or for worse. We can do everything uh, on there. And when it comes to technology, um, it is affecting the way in which we relate to each other. Um, mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I, I, I talk to my friends uh, about the fact how, in a way, we're regressing. We're ever more connected than we have been before, but we communicate in a more distant way than perhaps we have in, in, in previous decades, where, you know, we've kind of gone back to the Egyptians with the hieroglyphics, <laughs> with the emojis, mm -hmm. you know, and this is the way we're communicating with each other. I know you've, you've spent so much time thinking and writing about human relationships and uh, the way in which you see the homo sapiens interacting with each other. What, what, what would you say about the way that we are dealing with one another these days and how, how it will evolve? Because physical contact seems to be harder and harder to get because more people are staying at home. They're not going to work as much. A lot of dating starts online. Mm -hmm. And I know that, for example, with your partner, you met your partner online, right? Yeah. So how do you see this, this development of personal relationships and connections, which we continue to need in order to be sane, I guess? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so again, there is positive potential, there is negative potential. I talked a lot about, and I tend to talk a lot about, a lot about the negative potential because you know the people who develop the technology uh, they talk a lot about all its good, good sides, all its promises. And there are, of course, a lot of positive uh, uh, potential benefits. As you mentioned, I met my husband online uh, more than 20 years ago in one of the first gay dating sites that were available in Israel. And, this was, uh, and the technology was, was very important and beneficial because, you know, throughout history, um, you had minorities which were concentrated in one place. Mm. Like if you're Jewish, then you're usually born to a Jewish family in a Jewish community. So you know lots of other Jews. So even if you are a small minority, um, you have this kind of basic connection with other people like you. But with gay people, it's different. You're not born to a gay family in a gay community. Um, and, you know, being raised, grow, growing up in a small town in Israel, uh, which was very homophobic society mm. at the time, mm. just meeting other people, uh, just meeting guys for dating was very difficult. And then the internet came along, 
And this was a wonderful development because the internet managed to connect these kind of, of you know, uh, uh, um, diffused minorities that are not living together in the same place. Suddenly, it became much more easy to find each other. So this was uh, a great benefit of the technology. Uh, and we shouldn't ignore the, 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 these benefits. But as, as you said, uh, humans, deep down, we are social animals. And sociability, ultimately, is, is, is about the body. It's not just about the mind. And you have this discussion for, you know, for, for thousands of years about what humans really are. Are they a, 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 an immaterial soul or an immaterial mind? Or are they embodied beings, embodied entities? And um, this was a major philosophical topic that you see, say, in ancient Christianity, this discussion that Jesus and the first Christians, influenced by Jewish traditions, they believed very firmly that humans are bodies, which is why Christ rises in the body. He's resurrected in the body. And when Christ initially talks about the kingdom of heaven, he means the kingdom of heaven on earth. He tells his followers that there'll be this perfect kingdom here on earth, you know, with trees and stones and people. Um, but over time, under the influence especially of Platonic philosophy, Christianity drifted away from this view of humans as embodied and placed greater and greater emphasis on the immaterial soul or mind. It imagined that the body is, is dirty, the body is animalistic, the body, there is something wrong with it. And uh, when you die, you are not coming back in the body. Your soul is liberated from the material body. And it goes not to a kingdom on, on earth, but to heaven, which is a completely immaterial realm. So the Christian fantasy became to completely disconnect from the body. And this remained a fantasy for thousands of years. Now, with the technology of the 21st century, a lot of very ancient philosophical and theological debates are becoming practical. So, going with your example, let's say we, you have some teenager or some person, whatever age, yeah. sitting at home, never leaving home, in front of a screen, maybe with some 3D uh, glasses or something, they live their lives online. In a way, they are realizing the platonic ideal of disconnecting the soul or mind from the body. So what do we see there? Is it a um, human being trapped within a room, losing connection to the real world? Or is it a human being liberated from the restrictions of the biological body with all its messiness and, and, and dirt and whatever, and liberating their spirit? to wander around the immaterial, heavenly realm of cyberspace, where there are no bodies. Now, personally, if you ask me, um, I think the early Christians were right, that humans are embodied entities. If you try to disconnect the mind from the body or the soul from the body, it leads in a very dangerous direction, that you, you, you can't really do it, and it will be destructive psychologically and socially. 
but that's just my opinion. You have lots of people today, when you hear, for instance, people talk about the metaverse. The metaverse is exactly that. It's the idea of creating an immaterial realm, which is made entirely of data. There is no biology there. There is no physics as we know it there. I wanted to get your take on how you see um, the future of, of work. Um, I, was, I was seeing yesterday that, that BT, British Telecom, is laying off 55,000 people until 2030 because of the introduction of AI and increased mm -hmm. uh, technology that will uh, not need as many human beings yeah. to be sitting in seats as they, as they are today. What's the most important skill, the most important resource that you think we need to have as human beings to flourish and to survive in the coming years? The ability to keep changing. No single skill will, is, is safe. Like previously, people thought that, okay, all these jobs will disappear, mm. but we'll need lots of coders to write, to mm. code, all the AI, all the algorithms. The new generation of AI can code. So maybe you don't need any human coders, or very few human coders, in, in a couple of years. We don't know what are the, most, the safe skills. We do know that the job market will keep changing. It's not that all jobs will disappear totally. Many jobs will disappear, but many new jobs will emerge, which we can hardly even imagine today. But people will need to retrain themselves. And this is difficult, not just financially, like you lose your old jobs, your old job, you need a couple of weeks, months, maybe years to retrain for a new job. Who is going to support you during this transition? Uh, the psychological problem is, is even bigger. We are not built for these rapid, constant changes. Think that you have to reinvent yourself professionally, even personally, every five years. Who can do that? So it's not that we need to learn a specific skill. We need to kind of uh, rebuild our entire mind to be much more flexible, and this is something that individuals cannot do by themselves. Uh, again, governments, societies will have to step in and uh, uh, provide with, I, I think, with mental and psychological support because the biggest difficulty will be the, the stress. Change is always stressful. And the level of stress in the world just keeps rising more and more. And we are, I think we are close to the point when we can, just can't take it anymore. It's moving too fast. And going back to, to what we discussed at the very beginning, that we are organic beings. We need to sleep, we need to rest, we need to take time off. It's difficult for us to change. And we now live in a world increasingly dominated by inorganic entities that never sleep, that don't need to rest, that go, don't go on vacations, and that change at a pace which is just impossible for organic entities. So if we don't find a way to basically give us a break, to slow things down a little so that our organic bodies can keep pace, um, we will break down and psychologically. We're getting close to our uh, quick-fire questions that we ask all our guests before we do, and also in a kind of short answer-ish. I'm uh, not good in that. <laughs> short answer-ish. I don't, I don't think that's a word, but I just okay. made it up. Um, what, 
gets you the most excited right now, most excited optimistically, mm. and what drives you absolutely insane mm. about the world today? So what, I guess a sentence on each, yeah. maybe. So what drives me insane is the need for excitement. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that... Constant stimulation, yes. right? Yeah. I think, you know, especially in the States, I don't know how it is <laughs> here in Portugal, but when you go to the States, now everything is exciting. Like you meet somebody, I'm so excited to meet you. And you have a, a new idea. Oh, this idea is so, like your business plan is so exciting. The world has totally lost its meaning. Yeah. And people forgot that it's not good to be excited all the time. <laughs> It's just not good for it's you. It's exhausting too, right? It's exhausting. So I think people should say, I'm so relaxed to meet you. <laughs> okay, what gets you excited then <laughs> without getting exhausted? Um, what are you positive, most positive about right now, today? Yeah, in, in, in the world. Besides the Portuguese dinner you're going to have. <laughs> um, I, I think that humans have an, uh, still an amazing ability to change, we don't really know ourselves. We have immense potential, which we are not even aware of. One of the worst things about the AI revolution is that it could cause us to lose much of our potential without even realizing that we've lost it. Um, that, you know, uh, I said that AI is nowhere near its full potential, that it's just a, a, a baby. I think humans are in the same situation. We are nowhere near our full potential. If we invest for every euro and every minute that we invest in developing artificial intelligence, we invest another euro and another minute in developing our, ourselves, our, our minds, our consciousness, then it will be okay. Uh, but of course, it's, it, the, the incentive structure of society, of the economy, it, it pushes us in the wrong direction. And, um, you know, like with the algorithms in social media, we need to change the incentive structure. Yeah. Okay, quick fire time. Yes. I feel like I should get closer, but I'm not. <laughs> um, what is one personality trait that a good leader could really benefit from having and why? Hmm. So in one sentence, please. Inauthenticity, not being authentic. <laughs> um, the worst thing that we now he have as are all these authentic leaders who think that politics is something like psycho psychotherapy, that you should just say the first thing that comes to your yeah. mind. No, politics is not therapy. You want to say the first thing that comes to your mind. You want to let your id loose, go to therapy. When you go to politics, <laughs> you build a wall, not on the border of the country, you build a wall between your mind and your mouth, and you're very careful about which immigrants are passing <laughs> through the wall. <laughs> Maybe you're referring to someone in particular. What is the biggest challenge humanity is facing now? itself, its inability to cooperate. Again, I would say AI, I would say uh, 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 the, the climate change. If we can cooperate, we can deal with AI and climate change. If we don't cooperate, it's, it's hopeless. You know, just a quick aside in brackets, sometimes I think about the movie Arrival when mm. the alien species comes down and it's the only time where we actually collaborate and talk the same language to deal with this one issue. It, and it doesn't I, I work. I mean, it's it, probably not going to take that, I think, but 
uh, it, it, it's, yeah, again, you don't have to react okay. to that. I just, <laughs> I just think of that moment as a, like alien species coming down on Earth. We and then, yes, we have to get we together. We just encountered an alien intelligence here on yeah. Earth. It didn't come from outer space. It came from Silicon Valley. Yeah. And we are not uniting in the face of it. We are just bickering and fighting even more. Yeah. Okay, last two questions. If you could change one thing in the world by magic <laughs> today, what would it be? Hmm. With your Harry Potter uh, uh. outfit on. <laughs> I change one thing in the world. Hmm. Ability for us to get together, maybe, or get along. Yeah, I mean, I already said that. that yeah. This is like my, 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 I would say that I, I would change the um, um, human understanding of, of themselves to place more emphasis on our shared biological reality and less on all the kind of fictional stories that we create with our minds. Because in our minds, all of us, individuals and also groups of people, every nation creates a story that we are different, we are special, we are better than all of them, so we can't cooperate with them and we should focus on ourselves. And um, if we could just let go of these stories for a little while, and again, go back to the level of the body, we would realize that we are all the same. You know, Sting, I think, said it best uh, in Russians in his uh, uh, song from the 1980s, mm that uh, we share the same biology, regardless of ideology. It was true in the 1980s, it was kind of his vision for how to overcome the Cold War and prevent yeah. nuclear disaster, and it's still true today. We all of us share the same biology, irrespective of our ideology and religion and whatever. Didn't he also say the Russians have children too, or something like that? The song? He, he, he said that, I, I like hope the, like that. the Russians love their children too, Ch right. which of course okay. the answer is yeah. yes, obviously. Yeah. Again, yeah. That's the, everybody the loves their children, yeah. and if we remember that, yeah and let go a little of our ideological and religious fantasies, that, that's the basis to, to create a better world for everybody. Okay, that, that was an outrageously long answer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that was a lot longer than one sentence, so one sentence for this one. Otherwise, uh, they'll kill me. Mm. Um, <laughs> what's the most important learning of your life to date? The one thing? Um, meditation, to, to observe myself. That again, to observe how my mind constantly creates fictional stories and be able to let go of them for a little while and just be in touch with the reality as it is. That was one sentence. Thank you so much, <laughs> Yuval Noah Harari. An absolute pleasure, Thank delight you. to have you with us here on the first ever live recorded show of It's Not That Simple. Thank you. It's Not That Simple is a podcast from Francisco Manuel dos Santos Foundation. Tune in every month at ffms.pt or subscribe on the usual platforms.